last week's sermon on Hebrews 1, 1, 2, 3 was very uh, rich, heavy, and strong, like Armenian coffee. Um, Today's sermon will be more like drip coffee because we need this every morning before the day starts. We have gathered this morning to worship this Jesus as we saw last week who is the, the word, the air, creator, sustainer, the high priest, the radiance of God's glory seated at the right hand of majesty on high. I emphasized the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And yet maybe you woke up one morning this week and before you left the house, you were overcome by fear, by anxiety. You heard the preaching from Hebrews and yet you struggled considerably. Or maybe before that, as you woke up, In that first moment before your feet hit the ground, several real overwhelming fears flooded your heart, overwhelmed your mind, and you felt incredibly powerless before the day even started. Or maybe before that, and maybe this was last night, two in the morning you woke up or you were not able to sleep due to insomnia, and in that weak and vulnerable state, You were thinking about what-if situations and worst-case scenarios, and you were overcome by fear about the unknown and the future, and in that moment, you feel powerless. In that moment, whether it be in the middle of the night or, or when you wake up or throughout the day, when you are overcome by fear, in that moment, what do we do? How can we face and overcome? How can we deal with those fears in the right way. How do you guard yourself against real and relentless fear? A few months ago, I was at a two-day pastoral conference, and the last session of the first day um, was a sermon on John 17. Very good, nourishing, convicting. And during his closing prayer, my mind was drifting. And what came to mind had nothing to do with a sermon. And I really sense that God pointed something out to me. There have been several times over the last few years where where I feel that, in a sense, God spoke to me. In a very clear, undeniable manner, God said something to me, not related to the conference, to the conversations, to the sermon at all. While he was praying, I felt that God was pointing out in my heart that though the circumstances of this season are very hard, what is hurting us more in some sense are our fears and my fears of the unknown, my grumbling, the way I compare my story with others, and my weak and small faith. What, what the, the fears that we have that are regarding the circumstances are very real. On the outside, very real and genuine, but there's issues in our hearts on the inside, and sometimes those inner issues are stronger and greater and need more attention than those. That we can't fix, but there's work that needs to be done in my heart. And so on that day a few months ago, I felt incredibly convicted that God is saying, I need to work on my fears. I need to handle my anxieties very 
differently. So how do we guard ourselves against such fear? I have one verse for us today. This might be the second sermon I've preached that is just on one verse. If you remember from the father from my big fat Greek wedding, the father who believed that every ailment from psoriasis to poison ivy can be cured by Windex. One answer. Or maybe you or someone you know is an essential oils fanatic, and there is an oil for everything, especially lavender. It cures all. But unlike Windex and essential oils, th those are not the one-size-fits-all cure. They, they can't solve everything as they might claim. And yet there's something here in this passage. There's a truth here. There's a promise here. There's gold here that is beautiful, that is sufficient, that, it, that is something that we need today and always. This is the, in a sense, one-size-fits-all cure for every believer, for every background, every situation, every conversation, every season regarding every relationship. There is something here that I need first and foremost, and I know you do as well, because we all struggle with fear. We fear cancer and dying, fear of unemployment and the future, the fear of finding the right person to marry and living the married life or losing your spouse, fear of others, fear that you're not good enough for them, fear that you need to be pleasing others, fear over the lives of your children. What, what is this fear that is plaguing you today? What is it that is bringing you anxiety, causing you to lose sleep? What is it that gives you the headache and the chest pain? What is it that is hurting and haunting you? This is the verse to turn to. This is the verse to memorize. For surely you have or will have a moment when you need this. This is the verse to pray through. When your mind is blank and you don't know what to hold on to from the word, and you're in that moment vulnerable, where does your mind go? I encourage you to direct your attention here. Friends, I want you to be fearless, for in Christ God is with you, and God is for you. God's presence and power keeps you from fear. It gives you the victory over your fears. We start with God who he is, and what he promises. We fear him, and so we fear nothing else. Isaiah 41.10. Please open with me and memorize. Isaiah 41.10. This is what God's word says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. One verse. I'll offer you three questions, two promises, and one command. We're going to go through the message today, starting with three questions, two truths, two attributes of God, and one command. The first of the three questions. Will you cast this anxiety and fear upon the Lord who cares for you? Will you fervently come to his presence and pour out your heart before him? 
The fear you are facing is not an indication that God has left you. Life can very much be unbearable and the good shepherd can very much be caring for you at the same time. His wise sovereignty reaches every area of our lives. So if God's hand is pressing upon you, wounding and crushing you, don't squirm and try to flee. Don't rely on quick fixes and one-line answers. Don't run to careless distraction and continual entertainment so that you will not have to face this anymore. Beloved, God is very much there and God is very much at work. And life will be crooked until he makes all things straight again. And so come to him. Grieve before him. Lament in his presence. The problem of this fear and the harm that it brings is like drinking dirty water. What happens if you drink salt water from the ocean? It doesn't quench your thirst. It makes things worse. What happens when you drink from a faucet from a third world country? Um, maybe there is dirt or parasites and you will get sick. You are thirsty and your mind drinks up wrong ideas, things that are false and harmful, worst case scenarios, what if situations about the future and the effect this has on your mind and then your heart and then your life is like sickness. But in the scripture, God is offering pure and living water. Later in verse 18 of chapter 41, he compares the goodness of, of God to water upon those who are thirsty. Verse 18, I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. This is what God's presence is like, water for those who are sick with fear. And so will you run to God to provide you truth and promises to give you relief that you need? Will you take God's word and store it up like water for this coming week? Are you admitting that you very much need him? Second question. Will you pay attention to what this fear is revealing about your heart? What, what is this fear showing about who you are? How are you feeling as you face this fear? These feelings are real. They say something about us. us. We, we cannot ignore them or avoid them. But feelings are not the most important. Our fears make us feel what? Hopeless, hurt, lost, weak in the faith. Feelings have an important role in the Christian life. They say something about the health of our hearts. The ruin is we don't, when we don't know how to handle these Feelings. How many of our issues are actually connected with this? Let me say that again. How many of our issues come from a mishandling of our feelings? Not knowing what to do with those feelings. They are good. They say something about our hearts, but they don't rule us. Our life is not based on them. Since when is the Christian life based on feelings? And so if you feel alone... If you feel that God has left you, if you feel that everything is falling apart, if you feel the pain is pointless, if you feel that people have turned against you, those feelings are real, but there's so much more going on. What is the fear saying to you about your heart? Maybe, maybe you are trying to live with self-reliance. 
And so the fear and the trial is crushing your pride. As long as we are walking this earth, weakness, fear, anxiety are part of life. And so though it very well might be unbearable and impossible and unexplainable, this is good in stripping us of our self-reliance as we come to God and we confess, you alone can help. If, if you don't, I am done. Only at rock bottom do we cease from sorting things out on our own strength and understanding. Paul reasoned this way in the most unbearable of situations when he was walking through the valley of shadow of death. In 2 Corinthians 1, he, he understood why. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Dying to self-sufficiency and clinging to God in hope is what we need. So we come with our need. We find him faithful, and he gets the glory. That's how it should be. Are you seeing the work that God is doing in your life at the heart level during this struggle with fear? Third question. Are you spending too much time thinking about your fears rather than about God? Are we thinking too much about that rather than him? It sounds simple, and yet sometimes this is our greatest problem. We start by thinking too much about the fear, and we start talking too much about it. And we start addressing it with the problem. We start with the problem. Why? Scripture says we must start with God, and then we speak into our problems. We preach to ourselves in light of who God is. And so we must start with who Jesus is. That is why I preached from Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 last week. And in light of that truth... Then our heart is strengthened to address fear. We see objective truth and then our feelings follow. You see, this is a vision problem. Just like I said, it's like drinking dirty water. This is a vision problem. I'm saying this because of a certain word used in this verse. He commands and says, fear not, do not be dismayed. One translation says, do not look anxiously about you or another translation says do not look this way or that isn't that what we do when we are fearful we look at all the problems around us we we wonder where is the next problem going to come from or what is the next area of life that is going to fall apart and we spend too much of our time seeing thinking about our fears instead we ought to be seeing god this blindness will keep us from seeing objective truth about who God is and who we are in Christ. Don't let the fear narrow your vision to see only the problem. Ask God to open your eyes to see him, to see life from his perspective, to see that his kingdom is growing, to see that we have hope and an inheritance. Let us see how big this is. This is not about us. This is about him. Let us see things that are not seen. Let, because the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal, Paul says. Let, let us look to the invisible eternal. What we have around us is not the ultimate reality. God is and his story and the worship of his name. Let us see things from his perspective because he is the center not us not our lives and our stories are and our 
comfort. You see, things change when we look at him first and more than our fears. So three questions. Will you cast this anxiety and fear upon the Lord who cares for you? Will you pay attention to what this fear is revealing about your heart? Are you spending too much time thinking about your fears rather than God? We can be fearless because God is with us. God is for us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The verse starts with a command, but I want to draw your attention first to the God of this command. Our greatest joy, our greatest need is to grow in the knowledge of God. One pastor from the past century said this. He said, there is no doubt that 99.9% of our troubles as Christians is that we are ignorant of God. We spend so much time in feeling our own pulse, taking our spiritual temperature, considering our moods and states and fears. Oh, if we but had some conception of him and the inconceivable glory of God, he says. Let us start with him. Two promises. First promise, God is with you. I cannot think of a more comforting promise in the Bible. A more comforting verse for us today. How often do we see that? How comforting is this for a four-year-old on his first day of school? How comforting it is to a father dealing with major family decisions? How comforting to that person battling illness yet again. God is with you. From the beginning of Genesis, we see God's desire to dwell among his people, for them to live in his presence. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was with Noah. He was with Joseph. He called Abraham to himself and established a relationship by covenant. He called Abraham to follow him, and he promised to be faithful to him. God then promised the same to Isaac, to bless him and be with him. God promised to be with Moses when he went to Egypt, and when he walked through the wilderness, God was with Joshua, and he commanded and said, I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong, he commands, and courageous. Then in verse 9 of Joshua 1, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we see this repeated several times in the, in the second section of the book of Isaiah especially in chapter 43, when God says that he is the Holy One of Israel as Savior and Lord God to be with them as they walk through fire and the water. He will be with them because he loves them and called them and redeemed them. God is with them in the garden. His presence is in the cloud and the fire, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as Jesus was going to leave in his last message in John 14, 16, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He promised to send another helper, comforter, guide to be with them and in them always. And as he was ascending into heaven, the last comment was, I, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
And now, until the last day, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us and with us. Friends, how much of our troubles and fears in church, our families, our personal life, is that we forget the presence of the living and glorious God with us. And just as we found this promise at the very beginning of Scripture, we also see it at the very end in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. It's like a woman visiting a sick friend and saying, I'm here. I'm with you. Like a father going to a child who woke up from a bad dream. Daddy's here. I'm here. I'm with you. God the Father is saying the same to you by the words of the Holy Spirit, reminding you personally, gently, that he is here. He is with you. But what if you struggle to believe and to rest in this? Do you feel that maybe God has forgotten you these days? That maybe God has moved to other things and other people and you are just there waiting. Maybe you are longing for that assurance to really know that he is with you. The people of God were struggling with the same thing. Isaiah lived during the second half of the 7th century. After years and years of unrepentant sin, God was going to judge the people by sending the Assyrians and then the Babylonians to take them into exile. And as Isaiah writes, the people are in exile and they have lost everything. They hear the warnings and judgments. They realize that what is happening is not a typical conquest. It is divine judgment. Then they hear the words of Isaiah, especially in chapter 40 to 66, about the upcoming fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and to David, ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. They listen to the greatness and goodness of God in chapter 40. And I'm sure they had a hard time believing that. In exile, wondering, really? Where is this God? We are in exile. It feels that he has forgotten us. We too are dismayed and anxiously look around. And all we see are problems. And God addresses this at the end of Isaiah 40. For them and for you. Why? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Friends, God is with you. In that chapter, we see God is creator and king and shepherd. He is with you. If God is with them in exile, how much more is he with you today? If God didn't leave them in exile, but came to them, rescued them, Through the pagan king of Persia, how much more is he with you? If God fulfilled the messianic promises from the book of Isaiah in the person of Jesus, how much more is he with you? 
if he sent the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension to be with us and in us forever, how much more is he with you today, personally, in this moment? And this God is not like a man. His ways are not like man. He is not like us. He is holy other. He is far above. He is not like, his love is not like ours. His wisdom is higher beyond our reach. His sovereignty is beyond our understanding. But through Jesus Christ, we get God. We get to know this God. We get to look at him and say, my God. In today's verse, it's not that God is with us, but it says, I am with you. Directly and personally, he promises his presence. Preach this truth to your heart at two in the morning and at seven and throughout the day. One day all things will be made new, salvation will be complete, his kingdom will be established. But even today, that ultimate blessing was ours. We can experience him personally, fully. We can say, he is my God. We don't know if and when he will answer our prayers, not sure how our problems will be resolved. We have no idea if he will rescue us today and bring the healing that we beg him for, but we can be sure that he is with us. And that promise is unshakable. That is comforting. We question things. We don't need to question this. This is fully guaranteed. How differently can we face our fears when we are certain that in this moment, God is with us? Let us be busy meditating on this. As fears come before us, let us say, hold on, I'm too busy thinking about Isaiah 40 and 41 and 43 and 46 and 53 and 60 and 66. Let us be mindful of his promises like in Isaiah 41, 13, when he says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm Jacob and you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. But there is more. He is not just with us. He is for us. There's a second promise. If he was just present but not powerful, that would not be good news. If he was powerful but not present, that would not help either. But the God who is with us is also for us with incredible, limitless power. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What you bring to the table is your weakness. He brings the strength. Your emptiness of self-sufficiency brings you to the right place to receive his sufficiency. And so this is not for those who are fine. If you are fine, you can leave. This is for those who are not fine. We, we come and we say, I can't. We admit our weakness, our inadequacy, our emptiness, our poverty of spirit. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And so we come with poverty, and then we are able to receive all the help that he provides. Our inability is the prerequisite for this promise. Beloved, you are not hopeless. By the grace of God, your fears will not overcome you, and your faith will not fall. 
the assurance of this promise is based on God's unchanging nature and is not swayed by the shifting circumstances and feelings. Our hope is in the solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. And so no matter what comes your way, no matter how broken you feel, no matter if you feel like giving up, God will strengthen and help you. Alec Matir, an Old Testament scholar, has translated the verse the following way. Do not fear, for I am really with you. Do not look this way or that, for I am your God. I will make you resolute. More, I will help you. More still, I will grip you with this right hand of my righteousness. There you can notice that there's a Hebrew particle that strengthens the verb and makes the promise more sure. He says, more, I will help you. More still, I will grip you. I will. I will. I will. We must pay careful attention to the I will, I am, and I have statements of God, especially in the book of Isaiah. Read these chapters with a pen and paper. One of the very similar commands, um, similar promises is found in chapter 46, 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to the great hairs, I will carry you. I have made you. I will bear you. I will carry you, and I will save you. Also read 35, verse 3, and 42, 6, and 44, 2. Every four years, we watch the Summer Olympics. We watch cycling and gymnastics and swimming late into the night. Behind these incredible athletes are parents who have helped and supported since childhood. There are coaches who have spent five, ten more years working with them, helping them, reminding them. They are who they are. They are where they are because of their parents and coaches and support team. Last year, I watched a short clip of a runner who in the middle of the race tore a muscle and he fell and he started crying. He was unable to continue. He was unable to stand. A man pushes the security and rushes over to help him. They try to push him out of the way. You're not allowed. You, you cannot go... He pushes them away and comes over, for he is the father. He hugs his son, he lifts him up, and he helps him hobble to the finish line. More helpful than parents and coaches to athletes is God helping you in your everyday life. Closer than this father, more helpful than this father, is God who is here to help strengthen, uphold you with his hand of righteousness, with his unwavering strength and commitment to do all things for your good and his glory. He will give it to you. He will provide you what you need. Go back and listen to last week's sermon. Be mindful of his supremacy and his sufficiency and then ask yourself, is there a need he does not meet? Is there a need he cannot meet? For he is sufficient. What do you need? Do you need contentment when your plans fall apart? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches of glory in Christ. Do you need peace when it seems the doors are closing for work or marriage or children? Peace, I live with you. 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you need wisdom to know how to lead your family during a hardship? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Do you need love to love those who are hurting you? Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you need strength because you are too overwhelmed with fears about the future? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Are you starting a new season, a new chapter in your life? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you in Christ God is with you, and God is for you. This is good news for every Christian, every age, every day, every season, every hardship. He, he says, I am your God, meaning he is over you. I am with you. It means he is beside you. I will strengthen you, which means I will help you from the inside out. I, I will help you, he says, all around from wherever the trouble comes. I will uphold you. He will hold you from underneath. Beloved, believe this and be strengthened by it. But what if? You have a moment or a day where you say, where is this? Just like maybe you question if God is really with you. Maybe you are looking at your circumstances. You are wondering if God can really help you. Where is this help? Let's look at the context of Isaiah once more to get assurance. In chapter 40, we see God as creator. In chapter 41, we see God as the ruler over all things. The people in exile were hopeless. They were wondering where this powerful God was. And starting with verse 2, we see a promise of a coming Persian king, Cyrus, who was actually going to come a few hundred years after Isaiah. Cyrus was to rise in power, defeat the Babylonians, rule over all. And one of the first things he did was to release the people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their city, temple, and worship. This was surely going to happen because God was behind this. And he speaks of this king in verses 2 to 4 of chapter 41. Who stirred up one from the east? Whom victory meets at every step. He gives nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his bow. bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generation from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. Who is in charge? Not the people, not the Babylonians, not the Persians, not Cyrus, but God. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is ruling over history. And God is writing the story of his glory for the good of his people. God is stirring up the events. God is raising and bringing down leaders and nations. History is not moving in circles, but a straight line. Where God is going to be at the center of all history, Christ will rule and reign until all things are brought under subjection under his feet. Read this and the surrounding chapters and note the references to the incomparable nature, incomparable nature of God. Over and over, Isaiah says, He is God and there's no other. He is God and there's none like Him. He is the first, none before Him. He is the last, no one will replace Him, He says. And so as you live your day-to-day life, 
and look at the world around you. Keep the Bible close to you. See all things through the lens of Scripture. Keep yourself having a narrow vision, focusing not on unhealthily on the fears, but, but on God who does all things for his glory. Because if God can raise up a pagan king for his great purposes, how much more can he work in the lives of his children? If God is in control over the rise and fall of nations, how much more is he in control of the churches, families, and the personal lives before us? If God was at work in Isaiah 41, how much more is he at work today in your life? All that you are facing has meaning and purpose. God takes the nothings of fears and trials and makes them somethings for our growth. And so nothing is wasted. More so if the grace of Jesus was sufficient to save us from sin, how much more powerful is his grace in our lives as the children of God? How much more? Those three words repeated often. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. If he gave us salvation from sin, how much more now that we are his children already? And we can live with this certainty that Isaiah 41.10, that Romans 8.32 is ours because Christ is ours. It was five years ago that I spent the day listening to eight hours of teaching online from a pastor some doctrinal series. At some point, he made reference to something about suffering. He made a comment about something to keep in mind when you're suffering. I made a note of it. From the, the eight hours was good, that was better. That, that 10 seconds. And so I made a note of it to tell Trina afterwards. This was the line. It was Pastor John Piper. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. God's working thousands of different ways. Maybe you see two or three. And I was going to tell her that afternoon, but before I can write a note to myself or send her a text, I received an email. You see, the previous weekend we were at camp, I was speaking. And one evening, she opened the tablet and a devotional came up, and, and it was encouraging. And she tried to send it to me, but there was no internet, so nothing was happening. And we got home, and she remembered on that day, oh, I should send him that article because that encouraged me. And the moment that I was going to make a note to myself to encourage her with that comment, I received her email that came in that moment saying the exact same thing from the same article. God encouraged us considerably, especially in light of what we are facing in that season. Reminding us, now reminding you, that at all times God is working in 10,000 different ways. Maybe you know of three. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. God. God promised to be with his people, and that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to the Spirit personally telling you that God is near, that God is enough. Do not doubt his power. Rest in him. He is with you and for you and leaves you with this one command, fear not. And we are to walk by faith, 
not by sight. Because when we go by sight, this does not make sense. But we see the unseen. We see who God is. And so we walk by faith. Fear not. Most repeated command in scripture. Fear not. Not a suggestion, but an authoritative, loving command. In light of who he is, what he has done, fear not. Isaiah 41.10 is not theoretical. It is actual. It is not wishful thinking. It is reality. It is not general. It is personal for you if you are in Christ. And so fear not. And wait. Maybe for you, this means you wait. Maybe strength does not look like fixing and sorting and resolving. Maybe strength looks like sitting. Yesterday in Portland, we met a woman, Christian woman. We had heard of, Trina had spoken with her many times on social media. She was an Instagram friend. And so we met her. A stranger. Christian has been sick for over 20 years. She said things about her faith that were beyond me. To her, strength did not seem to look like achieving, conquering, orchestrating, running, building. To her, strength looked like sitting, persevering. Waiting for years bedridden, but that strength. Though it might seem that the outside circumstances are not changing and improving, maybe it looks like your resume, your spiritual resume is not very full. You haven't done or built or done things, as we might say. But there, in that moment, there's work being done in your heart, in her heart, in our hearts. May God strengthen you to wait, to sit, to be content. In any and every situation. Philippians 4.13 has been abused too many times. We say that it starts with, I can do all things. As if it's about us. As if it's about our strength. This so-called superhero Christian verse is taken out of context. Literally, it says, through him who strengthens me, I can do all things. You see, it's not about me and what I can do. It's through him who strengthens me, I can do all things related to what? Anything? No, in relating to contentment, as the context says. So he will strengthen you to sit. He will strengthen you to wait. He will strengthen you to be content, to sit quietly under his wise and fatherly provision in all situations. He will give you all the strength you need, even if it means or it feels that your story is not moving forward. Even if it seems he's still writing the same page. Other stories are moving forward is when you compare your story with others. But he in this moment is doing maybe the most work on your heart. And so we wait, we sit, we stand, we sing, and we live another day holding on to this promise that he is with us, he is for us.